Hello everyone, welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Lee Precopio, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. Despite approximately 77% of adults in the United States taking dietary supplements, the benefits of many of these supplements remains unclear. Until recently, the widely used and widely available glucosamine chondroitin combination supplement was no different. The researchers of a recent study sought to determine the efficacy of this supplement and found encouraging results. Joining us today to discuss these results is one of the study authors, Dr. Danny E. King, who is the department chair and professor of family medicine at West Virginia University School of Medicine. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. King. Let's dive into your study. Your study focused on examining the relationship between glucosamine chondroitin intake and overall and cardiovascular mortality in U.S. adults. What prompted this research question? I was uh, prompted to investigate glucosamine chondroitin intake, actually due to a hobby of mine, which is cycling. uh, That's bicycling, not motorcycling, (laughs) pedaling ourselves. In the uh, country road cyclists, uh, West Virginia, I noticed that almost everyone, uh, just in casual conversation, admitted that they were taking glucosamine chondroitin. And I I thought that was fascinating that there was just such unanimity about it since in the literature, glucosamine chondroitin has had some positive studies, but a lot of neutral studies. So as I was uh, examining the literature about it, to kind of decide if I was going to take it or not, I noticed an interesting study from several years ago that had noted an association between intake of glucosamine chondroitin and mortality. And I said, mortality, it makes you live longer. So that's interesting. Uh, It was in a single state in the state of Washington. And so I thought that uh, my research associate and I could investigate that further. You and your team found that taking glucosamine supplements every day for a year or longer was associated with a 39% reduction in all-cause mortality and a 65% reduction in cardiovascular mortality. Did this result surprise you or did you anticipate this? Well, I personally was very surprised by the result. Interestingly enough, while we were doing our study, another study came out about glucosamine chondroitin and mortality in the British Medical Journal, uh, looking at 466,000 people in something called the UK Biobank. Um, In Great Britain, of course, the people are under kind of one a national health system, and they have an electronic medical record for much of the country. And so they had the opportunity to examine, you know, whether people were taking this supplement and check into death rates by just looking at their database that they have for healthcare in their country. And interestingly enough, they found about a 15% decrease in the likelihood of death from taking glucosamine chondroitin. Now, interestingly enough, also about 20% of people, which was also shocking, were taking the supplement. But their definition was just the answer to a question, are you taking this, yes or no? So it's interesting that it was that high. In our study in the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, we wanted to know about more consistent use. So we did not ask just if you were taking it. We asked if you were taking it for a year or longer. And so that was about 4% of people, so a much lower proportion. But among these people who were taking it, you know, very regularly for a year or longer, so we don't know how many years they took it, but, but still this was con- fairly consistent use. 
uh, we found 39% reduction in mortality after controlling for age and a 65% reduction in cardiovascular mortality. It was astounding to me, actually. The results revealed that participants taking glucosamine chondroitin were more likely to be older, be white, have a high school or higher education, not smoke, and exercise more. Could you further discuss how certain demographics may have impacted the study findings? Demographics would definitely impact the study. For one thing, those are all factors that are involved in death rates and mortality. Age, obviously, the older you get, the more likely uh, you would be to pass away. Also, I guess, unfortunately for myself, women live longer, so males are more likely to die sooner. Uh, And then race has an impact on death rates also. Now, we did not know that people of a certain age or people of a certain race or education would take the supplement, uh, it would be more likely, you know, to be users. But there were significant differences, not by sex, but by age. As people were older, they were a little more likely. And then by race, there were differences. Non-Hispanic whites were more likely to take the supplement, although there were, you know, quite a few people of non-Hispanic, Blacks, Hispanics, and others. And that's the way that the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey uh, categorized them, not us. There were no differences in body mass index, so we did not use that as a control variable later. There were differences according to education. People with greater than high school education were more likely to be taking the supplement. Non-smokers were more likely. Uh, and people who exercise were more likely. It was about 60-40, 60% people were exercising more than 150 minutes a week, whereas it was about 40-60 for people under 150 minutes a week of exercise. So it was uh, a little bit opposite proportion. Because of that, we definitely had to take into account age, race, education, and we did take into account smoking and, all, and exercise into account in the findings into what we call uh, a particular type of regression analysis, which is a Cox proportional hazards ratio analysis. And when we did that, we were still surprised to find that the initial findings were maintained, that people who were regular users of glucosamine chondroitin were still less likely to have overall mortality and much less likely to have overall cardiovascular mortality. How will these findings impact clinical practice and how physicians consider prescribing dietary supplements in the future? Well, it's a little bit of a loaded question since the findings are are so large in proportion, but I don't know that they'll have an outsized effect in physicians prescribing or recommending these supplements. First of all, they are dietary supplements that are already used by millions of people. I mean, if 4% of the United States of approximately 300 million people (laughs) use them, then there's already greater than 12 million people using these supplements regularly, somewhat of an astounding number. And many more of them are using it casually or um, intermittently. They are freely available uh, at retail stores, drug stores, online merchants, et cetera. So if and when free living patients hear about this, they may say, you know, I'm going to give that a try. Now, if they ask their physicians, I think they will get some advice about 
the fact that this is a long-term cohort study, not a clinical trial. So the people that were taking the supplement in this study were self-selected. And so there's, there's going to be some biases. They were not randomized to take a particular supplement, a particular dose and take it for, you know, 10 or 15 years. Now, the strengths of the study are that we've started following people in 1999 and, and gathered people all the way up to 2010, and then check the 2015 mortality index, merge those files, and we could see what happened to the people that we accumulated uh, during that previous decade and whether or not they were still alive in 2015. When you do an epidemiologic study like this, you, t- you want to take into account other factors that could have impacted either mortality or glucosamine intake. And we felt like we did that. Of course, you can take into account, you know, always, there's always another factor and there's always uh, two or three other things that you could have or should have taken into account. But we felt like we took into account a reasonable number of confounding variables. Um, but no one can take into account all of them. Thus, <laughs> so, you know, we've sort of uh, invented the concept of clinical trials where we randomize people so that the factors will be randomized to the two groups. When you're self-selected, we're afraid that there's some other unknown factor that is not randomized. And so that's one of the weaknesses of epidemiology. I always like to remind folks that before they you know, write off epidemiologic studies, that smoking and what we know about smoking was the epidemiologic finding. There has never been a clinical trial. We've never told half the people to smoke and half people not to smoke and then followed them for 25 years to see who got lung cancer. That has never happened and it's not going to. So uh, we still strongly believe, you know, that smoking is not good for you. Uh, It's a significant factor in, you know, 90% of lung cancers and so forth, uh, as well as lung disease. I personally think these were very strong findings. I think that that's for several reasons. We took into account other factors. It's a large study of over 16,000 people. They were followed for a long period of time. It's a national study. So with the national demographics of the United States, which is quite diverse. And then interestingly, and and simultaneously while we were doing the study, uh, the same direction of findings and the same basic findings were found in Great Britain in a, in a study of a half a million people. So I don't think that the findings should be written off. Nevertheless, epidemiologic studies usually raise as many questions as they solve. So there seems to be an association. Is it causal? That cannot be proven in this way and would have to be prospective or randomized trials and a variety of other things, such as looking at the mechanism. Uh, In our paper, we presumed and and, and looked at the literature and thought about what would be the mechanism of this? (laughs) What could it be? You take an arthritis supplement, which has not really been very helpful, kind of marginally helpful uh, for cartilage and joints, and you say, oh, it makes you live longer. I mean, it's a little bit off base, Uh, but, you know, we follow the science and we follow the observations. You know, people said Benjamin Franklin was crazy when he said lightning was electricity too. So we just follow our observations and, you know, keep asking questions. Um, I think there's something to it personally. I think that uh, in some short-term prospective studies that glucosamine chondroitin has been associated with anti-inflammatory effects and lower inflammation biomarkers like C-reactive protein and interleukins and others. And so we do have 
a plausible mechanism if glucosamine and chondroitin have a low-grade anti-inflammation effect from daily use. We know that that's a huge factor in cardiovascular disease and vascular health. And so it would make sense uh, that we have seen the benefit in some cancers in the British study and in cardiovascular mortality in, the, in our study and then in overall mortality. Um, it's also somewhat reassuring that you know, that wasn't, it didn't lower cardiovascular mortality, but caused something else to increase. And so the overall effect was zero. There's a net gain here, not necessarily causal yet, because it's not a clinical trial, but it's, it's very reassuring that it was maintained overall, that it doesn't increase something else that we didn't measure. I think physicians would do well to, to say, yeah, give it a try. The final reason is that there's no or almost minimal side effects. Occasionally, people uh, will say, well, gee, it bothers my stomach or the capsules are kind of large and I, you know, I have trouble swallowing them. But there have been no long-term effects. A government study of four years looking at glucosamine chondroitin in relation to its arthritis and joint effects uh, did not find any significant differences between glucosamine chondroitin and placebo uh, and really no adverse effects. So it's something that I think many people and many patients will say, well, I, I might give it a try. I might, I might just try it. And if, if I tolerate it and it seems to be okay, you know, who knows? And we'll kind of watch the literature because it's going to be a, a while uh, before, you know, we have, quote unquote, the final answer. What knowledge gaps still exist concerning glucosamine chondroitin supplement use, both in general and in relation to mortality rates? I think there's still knowledge gaps. And as I mentioned, epidemiologic studies of this type raise more questions than they answer sometimes. Uh, it's a very intriguing finding, but it does not answer the question of the mechanism. Uh, we've gotten a lot of questions about, you know, well, what was the dose? There are at least 50 different combinations <laughs> and combinations of capsules of glucosamine chondroitin on the market. And there are probably more I don't know about. Uh, and that could have been used by uh, patients in this study. Um, the glucosamine chondroitin uh, supplements often have other supplements in them, uh, something called uh, MSM, uh, methylsulfonylmethane. They sometimes have turmeric in it. They sometimes have, you know, proprietary uh, other substance supplements <laughs> that the manufacturers, you know, come up with cute names for like, you know, optimal whatever. Um, and so there's sometimes other supplements in there, you know, and so was it these other supplements that did it or was it the glucosamine chondroitin? Now, I think the glucosamine chondroitin is the consistent component. But nevertheless, there could be some other component that either helps or blunts, uh, blunts the effect. Um, so we certainly don't know about that. We certainly don't know about the dose. Now, the manufacturers, and, and I do not know how they determined this since it's, they don't have to go through the FDA to get approval because it's a supplement and not a prescribed medication. So they have come up with a recommendation for 1,500 milligrams a day of glucosamine and 1,200 milligrams of chondroitin. So they are sometimes in 300 milligram capsules, 400 milligram capsules, 500 milligram capsules for the glucosamine component. We don't know if that's good or bad. We don't know, you know, if, if it says you have to take five capsules a day, do people take all five? We did not put in the paper because we didn't feel comfortable with the 
with the analysis, frankly, because it was so complex and there were so many different types of supplements. But because I've been asked about it, we, you know, we did a uh, an analysis after the paper to see if we could come as close as we could to an average dose of that people took during the study. Now, remember, they were just said, I've been taking this much, you know, for a year or more. That doesn't mean they took it consistently, you know, for the 15 years between 1999, 2000 and, and 2015. But nevertheless, people were taking approximately half of the recommended dose. So 600 some or 700 milligrams of glucosamine and then the slightly less uh, chondroitin. Um, so we have a knowledge gap about how much it is you really need or how much does it take to get the mortality benefit. Uh, remember in the UK biobank study, they just asked people, are you taking it? They, oh, yes. And the people that just merely said yes, I mean, are they taking one a day instead of five a day or one a day instead of the recommended three a day, depending on the strength? Uh, was that enough? Was it taking it Monday, Wednesday, Friday enough? We don't know. And that's, that's a huge knowledge gap. Uh, and finally, of course, we haven't done the trial to end all trials, you know, a 10-year follow-up study, which, I mean, is admittedly going to be not only expensive, but unlikely you know, to do a 10-year follow-up mortality study for glucosamine and give half the people glucosamine chondroitin of 1,500 milligrams and 1,200 milligrams of chondroitin and then placebo of that. I mean, it's difficult to get people to do things for a month or three months or a year-long study is huge. Uh, to achieve doing that for 10 years would be a, a monumental task. So I'm worried and afraid that the knowledge gaps <laughs> will remain. This may be the great glucosamine mystery, but it's a, it's still an interesting result to think that, uh, that a, a pill a day could help you live longer and has the same strength as exercise. <laughs> and uh, I made a joke. I said, well, you know, if it was five o'clock one day and you were kind of running late and you wanted to get home for dinner, he said, should I go by the gym, you know, today, or should I just pop an, uh, another glucosamine and head home? That was a joke <laughs> uh, because there's hundreds, no thousands of studies and they are prospective that have shown that extra, you know, exercise is good for you. 150 minutes a week is good for you. Exercise is good at all ages. But it was just kind of a statistical anomaly uh, that the impact was the same as glucosamine in our study, but uh, made for an interesting comparison. And it let people know about the strength of the association that we found. I just appreciate the opportunity to share with uh, the public, or in this case, my colleagues about this study. And I'm sure they'll understand the limitations of this study. And, and I hope that we've stayed within, you know, the the findings in our description of the results. Great. Thank you again for answering all my questions today.